Are you ready? Let's go. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the dagger? The neutral zone. Oh, oh my God. This is as good as it gets. The neutral zone is brought to you by the Ontario Para Network. Follow them online at onpara.ca. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. What's going on? It's time for another edition of the Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson, and uh, we got a jam-packed show for you today, as we always do. Coming up on today's program, we have our first interview of 2024, wheelchair basketball athlete and Paralympian Tamara Steves joins us to talk about her experience at the 2023 Para Pan Am Games. Plus, we talk a little bit about the Toronto Raptors. I'm joined by Josh Watson. Let's get into our headlines for this week. Neutral Zone Headlines. 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 The Ontario Para Network needs a couple of Division I athletes to officiate the Vipers Tournament on January 27th, 1 to 4 p.m. at Haber Recreation Centre in Burlington. Please direct any interested parties to Tammy at onpara.ca or Chris Chandler at chrisdchandler1315 at gmail.com. D1 athlete officials receive an honorarium for each game they officiate. This is a great opportunity for an athlete to give back to the sport and to get experience in officiating. Arguably the greatest coach in, in the NFL, Bill Belichick has called it a career after winning six Super Bowls at the helm of the New England Patriots. The announcement was made last week at a press conference. Also, uh, sticking in the football world of things, uh, the coach of Alabama has also decided to call it quits, Mr. Saban. So congratulations to both of you. Although one of you was able to call it a career on your own decision, and the other was kind of forced away. And we don't yet know at this moment in time whether Bill Belichick will actually call it a career or if it's just with the New England Patriots. Toronto Raptors head coach Darko Ryakovich received a $25,000 fine for criticizing officials last Tuesday. We will be playing a bit of sound from his comments following a loss to the LA Lakers on January the 9th. However, it was quite a tirade. Uh, those are your headlines for this week. I wanted to have a little bit of a conversation on something kind of cool that's taken place for us here at the Neutral Zone. As some of you may know who follow the program, uh, we've been on the different airways for about six years, and we've been recognized by Spot.com and Player FM as the number one parasport podcast in uh, the world. So this is a very cool honor. I just want to go through some things as to how the criteria of best podcast was done. So exposure and combat exposure and compatibility, as I try to spit that out in English, uh, content quality and relevance, loyalty and consistency, and audience engagement were the things that topped those lists to make us the number one podcast. And the one thing I want to note here is the fact that we didn't submit to either of these platforms. 
As a matter of fact, we didn't even know that either of these platforms existed. So we are greatly, greatly appreciative of this honor. And if it wasn't for you, the audience, we wouldn't be where we are today. Josh, comments as one of the newly people minted onto our panel. Well, as somebody that's only been here for a couple of years out of the six or so that we've been doing this, this is just an absolutely huge honor for us. Uh, I know the time and the effort that uh, you put in behind the scenes in order to make those of us that are in front of the microphone like myself look and sound good, as long with our technical producers over the past number of years, including our current technical producer, Marco Flalo. Uh, I'm just, I'm really, really pleased and really thrilled that we got that opportunity and that recognition because I know it is a lot of work and, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself here, but I know how humble you are and you you put in a lot of work for this. And so as much as it's a kudo to all of us, it really is a kudo to you and well earned on your birthday of all times. Yes, it's kind of a cool thing. And thank you for the slight birthday nod to throw into the podcast. Yes, it is my 33rd birthday as we record this podcast. Um and you know what, Josh? It is a real honor for me to uh, see this be put forth as the number one podcast. It was a list of uh, 10 parasports podcasts deemed from thousands of worldwide uh, parasports podcasts. And it really is something that I'm proud of. As we've said in, in the show many, many, many times, it is my brainchild. It is my baby. It, all the things you want to put, it is exactly that and so for me it's really a great thing and I really enjoy doing this podcast but it does take a lot of work to put it together week in and week out and I do lean on my friends to uh, put this together so it really is an honor and a privilege to have this and and be able to recognize it and we got so much love on social media uh this past week and and just the support um both from our former uh, employer, if you will, AMI, and now from Ontario Para. So really, really great, and we really enjoy your loyalty. And I think that's the biggest part of this, Josh. This isn't possible if we weren't able to do this for as long as we have, because one of the things is longe longevity and loyalty. So it's really, really great uh, to put this all together. Any final comment before we move off of this uh, this portion of the show? Yeah, just that I, I really agree with you, and I think that it really is a testament to the audience because we've had different iterations of the podcast. We've had different uh, lengths, different makeups, different uh, different mediums. We, we did a video podcast last year for the first time, and yet the audience has stuck with us all along, and we really, really appreciate that because – as we've found out, both you and I, we don't just get sports fans necessarily. We get people from all kinds of walks of life who who listen to it and they tell us things like, you know, I'm not a sports fan, but you guys make sports interesting. So it's it's really great to get that kind of feedback and to have that kind of a wide-ranging audience. And we've heard that from uh, just different people from walks of our lives. It's It's not just our close friends and our close family members who say those sorts of things. It's people that I've 
been around that have said, hey, this podcast is really, really good and we really like it. So again, it's it's really humbling and Josh is right. I, you know, I, I'm humble and I just do my thing and week in and week out, we just put together another, you know, kick-ass podcast and, you know, and that's just the way we do and, and we really enjoy it. So it's my favorite day of the week uh, to do and to record this show. So thank you to everybody. Thank you to the audience and uh we shall carry on with our show as we often do. If you want to get a hold of us on social media, here's how you can do it. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone broadcast booth. Play ball! We're set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch is brought to you by Brock Richardson's X account at Neutral Zone BR. Strike! Pitch and a strike. Hey, gang, why not strike up a chat with Claire Buchanan from the Neutral Zone? Find her on X at Neutral Zone CB. There's a swing of the chopper out to second base, right at Claire as she picks up the ball, throws it over to the first base for a routine play. Out. And fans, there's nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone at Neutral Zone Cam J and at J Watson 200. And the Neutral Zone is brought to you by the Ontario Para Network. Connect with them at ON Para Network. Follow them online at onpara.ca. Now that's a winning combination. Earlier, I sat down with Canadian wheelchair basketball player Tamara Steves to discuss her time at the Para Pan Am Games in Santiago, Chile. Please enjoy the interview. Tamara has been a part of the National Wheelchair Basketball Program for over 10 years, and she has competed at the 2012 Paralympic Games, 2016, and 2020, and is a hopeful for the 2024 Games in Paris. She joins me now from Mississauga to talk about her 2023 Para Pan Am Games experience in Santiago, Chile, where her team finished in second place. Tamara, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi guys, thanks for having me. So let's start with, can you give us an idea of what the vibe was in the village, specifically in Santiago, Chile? Uh, so this is my first time in Santiago, Chile. It was pretty cool. The village was amazing. It's always great to experience any village with the international zone. It's always pretty cool to experience everyone there and just hanging out. You get to meet a bunch of people, so pretty awesome. Awesome. I know that villages change from time to time so it's kind of cool when you see that what was a change for you between other villages that you've seen that you kind of went oh that was cool uh i think for like from uh lima where it wasn't like covid or anything people would hung out all the time and then here people are a little more not so like they kept their space a little more but i think it's it's cooler to see when everyone gets to hang out so i think just the spacing between everyone i guess <laughs> so you got a new coach prior to this event paul bows can you tell us a little bit about uh what the transition of coach was like so soon to an event i think it's always hard getting a new coach closer to any tournament but when i heard it was both i was excited i've been on terry women's team and i loved how passionate he was about the sport and wheelchair basketball and it shows when he coaches so i think that's a good aspect to have in her coach 
for sure. Yes. It's always one of those things, though, when you get a new coach, it's kind of like, are they going to have new, you know, systems? Are they going to, you know, are they going to have different things? So it's it's really good to hear that the transition uh, went well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the event in uh, Santiago itself. Can you start by telling us a little bit about the round robin portion of the tournament and how that went for you guys? I think our round robin was good. Uh, we had some things that we wanted to work on, and I think we did those during those games. So I think it's good. Like you said, always getting a new coach. He has some new things to work on, so I think we got to work on those in our round robin games and in practice. And did you feel that you worked on them enough that you were – prepared to go into the event or was it kind of one of those things of like it was an ever-flowing situation where it's like okay we're learning a new system and and it's a bit of a bit of both i think it's a bit of both kind of thing like we had some new things we wanted to work on and then some old things that we could do to work better on so i think it was up and down there but i think we did well during the round robert to work on those things awesome can you walk us through the uh, gold medal game again between you guys and the united states uh, I think Canada and the States is always a battle. For this one, I think they just came out with a stronger start, and we didn't, we didn't, sorry, we didn't keep up to what we wanted to work on. I think we tried to fight till the end, but it just didn't end up in our favor. Yes, for sure. Um, do you think that overall, you're because if memory serves me correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys went undefeated in the. Uh, um, <clears throat> round robin portion of the event. Uh, did you do you feel that your team faced enough adversity going through the tournament when you got up against the United States, or, or is it more about what you guys didn't do versus the adversity piece? I think we did. We can't take any team lightly, no matter who it is. Some of the games it gave us an opportunity to work on some things to make the them better for later in the tournament. To make us better for later in the tournament and what do you guys see specifically as things you need <laughs> to improve on as you head towards uh the final stretch towards qualifying for paris uh 2024 i think for our first time together as a team in a while i think we all bought into what those wanted some things worked and some things didn't but i think we still played our game and i think we just learned from what we need to do better. So what is next uh, for the team? Obviously, you guys didn't uh, get the direct qualifier uh, by winning this event. What is next for you and the ladies? We have some camps coming up, and I think it'll be really good for us to get back on court together and just keep working on the things we need to do on court and off. And when April comes and we head to qualifier tournament, we'll be ready to do whatever it takes to go to Paris. And how do you like find training? Cause obviously everybody is, you know, different parts of the country and you can only get together mm -hmm. so many times a year. Do you find ways to keep yourself for lack of a better term motivated to train, you know, individually or in a small group? And how do you go about doing that? Uh, I think it's like, yeah, like you said, we don't get it together a lot of times, but I think when we, show up on court together we can see that people are putting in the training that they need to put in and so i think as long as you keep doing what you need to do i think you'll we'll get there together as a team 
I want to go back to you, the coach Paul for just a second. And what's the style that we're going to see from coach or not even style. What's the thing we're going to see from coach Paul Bowes that is going to be his staple on the team that we haven't seen from other coaches in the past. I think just consistency for, uh, for us and him just to be able to keep doing what we're doing, not fall into the trap of other teams. So just play our game and focus on what we need to do. Awesome. Uh, last time we had you on was uh, prior to a life-changing event, and that was that you were uh, going to be getting married uh, this past uh, September. Obviously, I assume it was a success. How was the wedding, uh, and was it everything you had hoped for? It was amazing, actually. It's kind of a blur when it comes to it. You work so hard to set up everything, and then it just all swept away in one day, but it was pretty amazing. It was such a special day to have all my family and friends there, and then getting to marry the guy who love. Um, I would say as an athlete, you know, I, I got married post my athletic career. So as an athlete, sometimes it can be hard to focus on the moment of your personal life to then go back into training and competing. And you're obviously in a, in a moment in the quadrant where you're high level of training. How much time did you get to spend with uh, your now husband versus like, hey, we got married and now I got to go back to training? Well... We, uh, we both got sick shortly after it, so we got to spend more time together right after it. So, uh, but yeah, like I took a couple weeks off and then got right back to training. It's a very important year for uh, the women's team, so you got to cut back and <laughs> do what you need to do. But I, we got to spend time together as a sick, newlywed couple. <laughs> and I'm sure you passed, passed your cold back and forth as you often tend to do as you're in a new relationship. So yeah, it's, and I think part of the sickness is also due to the fact that, you know, it's, it's a big day and it's stressful. And then you kind of wind down and say, okay, we're done now. And it's, uh, it's all good from there. So I get it. I recall being sick, uh, shortly after my wedding as well. So I am with you on that. Our uh, sponsor for this program is the Ontario Para uh, Network. And I know that you have uh, competed with them and part of Ontario. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with Onpara? I think Onpara is a great program. I think they advocate for each sport that they broadcast, which is also wheelchair basketball, sledge hockey, and tennis. So I think it's... Uh, I think it's a great program for up and comers to try out and learn. I think Alpera does a great job of getting people to come and try out their sports and stuff like that. So I think they're great to have, especially for Ontario. And what did you learn from either your time with Ampera uh, beforehand or now, as you said to me before we recorded this, that you compete with them roughly once a year? What have you learned from this organization that you've carried forth into your program with the national team? I think we learned how passionate they are to succeed in what they are working towards. And I think that brings into my game where I love wheelchair basketball and stuff like that. So I think just bringing that passion when I play and then when they say, oh, yeah, you're from Mississauga, Ontario. And I was like, yeah, proud to be from Mississauga, Ontario. We have great programs here that succeed in getting us where we want to be. 
So I think it's great. Awesome. Tamara, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to spend with us on the program. It's uh, always a pleasure of mine to uh, interview you because we got to spend time in uh, London in 2012. So always love to see you uh, succeed in your career. And thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. That was Tamara Steves, wheelchair basketball player for Team Canada, and she joined us talking about her experience at the Parapan Am Games, Santiago, Chile. The Neutral Zone is sponsored by the Ontario Para Network. Their focus on the growth and development of wheelchair basketball, tennis, and rugby in Ontario. You know, uh, Josh, it's um, interesting how we we build this show and things happen and I just kind of put one thing into another and I think, okay, let's really get the thought process of people on on what they think took place or, or what they didn't. And today is no different. Um, I want to talk about the thing we mentioned on our headlines and that is the fact that Toronto Raptors head coach Darko Royakovic receives a $25,000 fine for criticizing officials. We're going to play a little bit of sound from this uh, rant. It's about a minute, 18 seconds. And then Josh and I will give our comments. And again, this was in response to a post game after playing the LA Lakers. Let's take a listen. Outrageous. What happened tonight? This is completely BS. This is shame. Shame for the referees. Shame for the league to allow this. 23 free throws for them, and we get two free throws in the, in the fourth quarter. Like, how to play the game. I, all, I understand uh, respect for all stars and all that, but we have star players on our team as well. How's possible is Scotty Barnes? who is all-star caliber player in this league. He goes every single time to the rim with force, trying to get, get uh, to, to the rim without flopping and, and not trying to get foul calls. He gets two uh, free throws for the whole game. How is that possible? How are you going to explain that, that to me? They had to win tonight? If that's, if that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win. But that, that was not fair tonight. And this is not happening first time for us. Scotty Barnes is going to be all-star. He's going to be the face of this league. And what, what's happening over here during whole season, I've been holding it back. It's a complete crap. We, of course, give the credit to uh, YouTube and ESPN for that piece. So, Josh, what say you on the Darko rant? Well done, coach. This game was an abomination from an officiating standpoint. I have said on this program and to all of us who are a part of this program privately, the officiating in the NBA, as I try to spit things out now, is one of the reasons why I find the NBA so hard to watch at times. Because a foul is not a foul. A foul depends on who you are. And it depends on your stature, apparently. And it depends on how, how friendly you are to an official, apparently. Now, I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell us um, the, the name of the particular official, because I know Fred Van Vliet went off on this official 
uh, previous to this, but I'm, I'm a very simple minded person in that an official should be a part of the game, but they shouldn't be a noticeable part of the game. And in this particular game, I believe, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, we're, we're specifically talking about the fourth quarter where the LA Lakers had 26 free throw opportunities to the Toronto Raptors, two. Two opportunities in 15 minutes of basketball? That's impossible. That's unheard of. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so I don't blame the coach for going off the way he did. I would go off too because a foul should be a foul. And it shouldn't matter whether your name is LeBron James or Scotty Barnes or even like when he was on the team, even Precious Achua. It should not matter what your name is. A foul is a foul. Yeah. Uh, but not in the NBA. Yeah, I totally agree. And and the foul discrepancy that we speak of is uh, 23 to 2, which is still a um, uh, quite a quite it's a ridiculous. large disparity in uh, in fouls. It's not appropriate. And I would normally say to you, it has to do with the name on the back of the jersey. When in this case, I would say, hmm, I actually think it had to do with the name on the front of the jersey. The fact that they were in La La Land, being LA, of course, um, and the fact that it's the big stage and there's all kinds of celebrities and there's all kinds of eyeballs and there's all kinds of this and that. That's the part that I look at for this particular situation. And I say, was it about the name on the back? I wouldn't say so because it was pretty widespread as to who the official quote unquote picked on um, for the Toronto Raptors. And as you mentioned, Josh, and I just want to put this out there because I, I just don't think we should know this as well as we do. We know that the official was Ben Taylor. I shouldn't even not have to look at my notes to tell you that it was Ben Taylor. That's not appropriate. I think the officials should be a part of the game, as Josh mentioned, but I don't think they should be the story. And sadly, the story was the official. Does this change the fact that the Toronto Raptors aren't as good as we hoped they were going to be or that they're not an NBA champ championship team because of the officials? Not even close. But... The fact is, is that when a coach goes off like this, this is this is because of built up frustration. And he ends the clip very apropos by saying, this is crap. And he literally said, this is crap. And I think that that's the mm -hmm. moment. I One of the other things, Josh, and then I'll let you weigh in again on this is, is that yeah. he, Darko basically said, if they're going to win the game, just just tell us so we don't have to show up and be embarrassed like that. Like, that's not the level to what coach should go to. I have more to say, but I want you to weigh in here uh, on this. <laughs> I, I think we both have more to say on this. As you pointed out, if a referee, if an official is doing their job and doing it well, 
We should not know their name ever. And yet in the NBA and in the NHL to a degree, and certainly in Major League Baseball, there are referees, there are officials, there are umpires that we know by name because they are god-awful. And it's just so, so inappropriate and so, so frustrating. And I know if we talk to fans of the Boston Celtics or the Philadelphia 76ers or the Denver Nuggets or the Sacramento Kings or the Portland Trailblazers, they will all have stories about officials that they feel are against them. But it's every time the Raptors play, every single time you can look at plays and go, that should have been a call. That should have been a call. That shouldn't have been a call because it wasn't a call over here on this guy. I don't know if it's because we're a Canadian team and we're the only Canadian team, but it has to stop. And I think, Brock, what is worse for me is that regardless of the league, we never hear that an official was disciplined for a bad game. I'm sure it happens. I have no doubt that it happens. But we aren't allowed to see it. It's done in private. It's done in closed doors because, heaven forbid, we should hear that an official got reprimanded. Yeah. I, I, the only just, re- I don't know what to do and there are nights where i i've told you over the phone and or by text i'm turning this game off because otherwise my neighbors will make a noise complaint against me (laughs) because i will be screaming at the television it's so bad and i recognize sorry i I know you're trying to jump back in here but i I recognize that we I recognize that officials have a hard job. I know the game is fast. I know that it's not easy to see everything, and that's fine. But how many of you are on the court? If, you're, if, you, if your fellow on the other side calls a, a foul and it's not a foul, huddle up. Get the call right. You have replay now. You can... You can check it you can look at it i would rather have a game go three hours or four hours if we get the calls right than for it to just be be this bad there is no way that a team only commits two fouls in a quarter if they only commit two fouls in a quarter it's because you're not looking for them um and you might have to help me on this because i don't recall the only time that I've ever seen an official be totally disciplined. And this was for a very good and slash obvious reason was that official in the NHL who got Mm -hmm. uh, basically told you don't, you no longer belong here because you were on the microphone, basically admitting to the fact that you called a call because you felt that said team needed a call. That's the only time that I've seen a situation where where the 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 official literally was reprimanded, but it's because there was no choice. You, you can't. Ha- yeah, that's right. That's it's because the, he got that's caught. That's the point. It's because he got <laughs> caught. And 
<laughs> I believe that was yeah. T- that's right, Tim Peel. You're I believe right. That was Tim um, Peel, and it's because you got caught. If Tim didn't say this over a microphone, and I know it wasn't a microphone on his body, and you could really make the argument, well, you know, it was caught on, on mic. But if he, if this wasn't caught on mic, nothing happens with this. Nothing, unless his team members say, "Oh, we 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 heard this," and then they're gonna go back and review tape. The only reason this took place was because it was caught on. A microphone, and then everybody heard it, and it blew up, and the NHL had no choice but to make this happen. So um, I, I want to go to the, the Paris Sport World because you and I have have played, and you continue to play Paris sports in the uh, field realm of things. And I want to know, uh, at what point is this a good thing for a coach to do? At what point does it get old what are your thoughts? Have you had situations similar to this in your career that you could highlight? I don't know that it's ever been as blatant as what we saw in this particular NBA game, but I have had situations where a coach has kept something in his back pocket. So as an example, I've played para ice hockey in the past and and do plan to play it again in the future hopefully Um, but we often will play a team from the United States and over there they do not have a requirement as of the last time I played where they had to wear neck guards up here in Ontario it is a mandate it is a rule every hockey player must wear a neck guard because the American team is not used to it we can hold it in our back pocket where if we see that a player is not wearing a neck guard, we can then approach the referee and say, um, hey, buddy over there is not wearing proper equipment. And the rule at the time that I can recall was that you get warned first, and then if you're caught again, it's a penalty. And so I've had a coach who will hold that in his back pocket He'll mention it once the game starts, but then in the he won't mention it again until, say, the third period when we're maybe down by a goal. And then he'll look around and he'll go, oh, mm. hey, you remember that warning you gave those teams? L- look at that guy over there. He's still not wearing one. And they get a two-minute penalty. It's maybe not the same as the coach going off on the uh, the officiating but it, it is something similar where you can sort of use an official to your advantage um, in terms of this specific example I know that we have had instances where there has been issues with an official and you basically you you have to kind of judge how necessary it is to get involved. We we have certain rules in the track and field community regarding equipment and how rigid or flexible a piece of equipment can be. Well, that's that's very subjective. 
when it comes to an official. One official might deem something to be acceptable while another does not. And you'll also see it where if a certain athlete has some cachet, they might get away with having a, a slightly more flexible piece of equipment than, say, I would as someone who's who's not competed beyond national level. So there again, you you kind of figure out, okay, how are we going to deal with this? Are we going to deal with it at all? I had a situation one time in the past where I felt that a competitor was using a, what we call a throw chair, which had a piece of the chair which was too flexible and actually gave the athlete an advantage because it kind of provided a spring. So you would lean back to start your throw, and then because this bar was flexible, it would flex back and then flex forward, helping you get forward faster. I brought this up, and nothing was done about it. The official said it's not that big of a deal, and I was very upset that my coach chose not to get involved. But in that instance, he pointed out to me that there was an opportunity for him to potentially coach this athlete in the future at a national or international level. And so we had to be somewhat diplomatic and not make too much of a fuss in that instance because he may have to coach that athlete and, and have a coaching relationship with that athlete in the future. It was tough to take, but he also explained to me that if I had been closer in distance to that athlete, that he would have stepped in and done something like that for me. So I don't know if that really is the same thing, but but in my mind, it's it's kind of similar. I think the part that upsets me about this kind of thing, and it's the fact that you say, oh, this athlete had a little bit of cachet. And I think you can make the argument of, you know who athletes are that in different sports, like pick a name, you know, um, Connor, Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard. I think he's got some cash, cachet already, you know, pick the player that you believe has cachet and we can have the conversation. You brought up LeBron James earlier. And the point of this whole conversation is to show the audience out there that the cachet exists in the parasports world as well. It's not always that we look at parasports and we say, oh, we're so happy that these people are out here, you know, doing their thing. There is a level of politics. There is a level of cachet. There is a level of all of those things. And it's just sad that... All across sports, you look at the cachet and you sort of think, really, is this where we are? Like, why are we here? I've got, um, uh, well, a couple of examples of a coach who had no choice but to go to bat for us. Uh, I played bocce for a number of years, went to two Paralympic Games and many, many, many world championships. And... We were playing a national championship, and back in that day when I was a part of the team, Quebec and Ontario in the team portion, so three-on-three, three, 
always had a rivalry. And the box that you have to place your chair in is two and a half meters long by one and a half meters wide. If any part of your wheelchair is touching the line when you release the bocce ball, you are assessed a penalty. Now, the penalty rules have changed over the years. And so you used to be able to, uh, when you received a penalty, you used to be able to take two extra bocce balls and add more points to your to your already existing count or disrupt your opponent's already existing existing count. So in this instance, what happened was the gentleman that was sitting beside me, his entire wheel was inside of my playing area. It wasn't that it was in by an inch. It wasn't that it was in by, you know, half a fingernail. It was his entire wheel was in my box. Like, no kidding. And the official... Mm -hmm. Uh, signaled for for the team to play. The captain said, you, sir, who's sitting beside Brock, you go. And he picked up his ball, and I literally looked at the wheel because I knew the coach would ask me when we called a timeout, was it in your box? Because the coach is 11 meters away from the field of play when when all this is happening. So I looked at the wheel, and I'm like, yeah, literally his entire wheel is in my box. The official did a straight down bend, stood straight up as the ball was released. She did not um, take his ball away as she should have. Uh, I believe they scored a point. The coach called a timeout, and I rolled up to the, the where the coach was, and the coach looked at me and said, the whole wheel was in in your box, wasn't it? Yep. And my, and the coach had a conversation, rather heated conversation, uh, with the official, and said this isn't even close. Like he, the yeah. the the wheel was literally in the box. Then we fast forward to a world event that was happened to be held in Montreal, and the same official mm. um, came around and was refing one of our games, and. Uh, she, uh, when she was measuring, she, she tapped, uh, one of the balls with the measuring equipment and moved it. So that means then it's supposed to be a disrupted end and we're supposed to redo mm-hmm. it. Well, she moved, she moved the ball and the coach looked at the official and said, so are we going to have a repeat of national championships again? <laughs> the, the, the referee, the referee looked at the coach and said, you, sir, need to sit down and basically mm-hmm. shut up, is what she said. And this was the first tournament that we instilled red and yellow cards. And I thought the coach, for the first time in history, was going to receive a red card. He did not, uh, but the official was none too happy. When you show up an official in sports, or if they perceive that you mm-hmm. showed them up, that's a real problem. And and that's where the official holds a little bit more of the cards because they can say, I feel you're showing me up. I'm going to give you a technical. I'm going to give you a penalty. I'm going to give you a red card. I'm going to give you a yellow Bench card, whatever it is. Something. If a referee feels that you are showing them up, they will take action. And that's that's a that's an issue for me is 
that even if the official's wrong and it's blatant, you should acknowledge it rather than giving a penalty and just holding on to your, I'm the referee, I can do this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I recognize that officials are human. They're going to make mistakes. But when something is as blatant as a wheel being in somebody else's playing area, there, there's no debating that. It's black or white. It's in or it's not. Mm. And for them to not even look at it or, or do anything about it is just, just crazy. Just craziness. But, I mean, these things happen. Yeah. They, they happen everywhere. Yeah. Um, when we're throwing, we have to watch very carefully about two things. We have to watch the official in the field for the, where they mark the throw because if they mark the throw short, then you're, you're being, you're, you're having distance taken away from you. And we also have a rule where our backside must remain in contact with our seat when we throw. Well, as a bigger person with skin and things that move, it sometimes looks as though I'm not remaining in contact when I actually am. And so the, a lot of the time you'll get referees and officials that, that won't call that at all, but then you'll get others who have gone through a training or have been called out by a person running a training who also happens to be a coach, and suddenly you, as that coach's athlete, are then scrutinized extra because you are essentially that coach's athlete and since that coach showed up that official they're going to make a point of judging that coach's athlete more closely <laughs> yeah i think the the, the thing and i want to circle back to the nba situation just briefly here for for a second i think the thing that bothers sure. me is that it's it goes a little bit further than just, okay, so the NBA in this instance, it's easy to say, Darko, you receive a $30,000 fine or $25,000 uh -huh. or, or whatever the number is, in this case, $25,000. But then we don't go back and look at what did Ben Taylor do to perpetuate this situation it's too easy for the nba or any official to say ah we'll just we'll just slap a fine because that's abuse to an official and that's it and i think that they should be held accountable and in this case with the ben taylor situation what i would have liked to see the nba do is come up and say we've gone back and we looked at the ben taylor situation with fred van vliet a couple of years ago and we looked at this situation and between the two we're going to apply x punishment i'd like to see a suspension to be perfectly honest with you but it will never happen i think right. it's too easy for the leagues no. to say oh the coach can can, can do a twenty five thousand dollar fine fred van vliet last year can do a thirty thousand dollar fine and that's that let's move on but it's not it's not like that we're all held accountable at our jobs you and i are held accountable to the things that we say 
on this podcast. If we said something truly, truly untoward, we're going to have to answer to that. And if you blatantly make a mistake with something, you're going to have to answer it. And it's far too easy for the NBA to just, and any league to just say, oh, here's a fine because you abused my official. Right. There's, there's no accounting for the fact that your official's decision made an impact on this game. Like that, that Lakers versus Raptors game, we haven't touched on it, I don't think. But the final score was 132 to 131. That decision by that official had an outcome on that game. And they interviewed LeBron James after the game. And with all the smugness he could muster, he sits there and looks into the camera and goes, well, I guess we just didn't foul as much as they did. <laughs> BS. Yeah, yeah. BS. Yeah. Total BS. You know what you did. And you know your team is not that clean. Don't yeah. give me that crap. You, you can you can defend your team to a point, but when you look at the discrepancy and you say twenty three to two is the the end foul game here, that's a huge difference. Like that's not one foul here, one foul there, two fouls, five foul. That is a twenty one foul discrepancy difference in a twelve minute quarter, like. That that's that's a lot. Yeah. You could arguably say there's a foul on every play, which I believe you could call it. But then there'd be no no rhythm sure. to a no rhythm to to a game. So you're not going right. to do that. But you're telling me that twenty three fouls on one side and then two on the other. Like I don't think so. So to me, I think we all need to be held more accountable. No. We've said it many times on this program that. Everybody needs to be held more accountable, and I believe that to be true. A mistake is a mistake. You shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't just be able to move on from said mistake and just forget like it happened. You need to be accountable for it and say, you know, I'm sorry. Here's the consequence. And again, all too often these leagues will just come out and say, I'm sorry, the official screwed it up, without realizing the direct impact that that one game had. And one decision had with that official. And to me, that's the real, real challenge. Well, you know, it's tough for me to watch NBA as it is, as you point out, but now it's really tough. And there's only one official, Josh, that I know that's a decent official in the NBA that I can name. And I know it's uh, Tony Brothers, who every time Tony Brothers is on the court, he's a guy that you know is going to cause call a consistent game and it's not very often that i can come up with and say yeah tony brothers is a good good official all too often it's about the bad ones that we talk about absolutely absolutely and i mean if we extend it just slightly beyond nba for a second the best example of an official owning up to something that i ever saw was a few years ago there was a pitcher in the in major league baseball who was pitching a perfect game. And an official at first base called a guy safe, I think in the ninth inning, which ended the perfect game. When you looked at the replay, he was clearly out. And this was before we had re replay and coaches challenge and all of this. He was clearly out. 
the official after the game saw the replay and he stood in front of cameras and he said, I feel bad. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I ruined this kid's perfect game and I'm sorry. And I just looked at him and I went, that is an official that I have respect for because he came out and he said, I screwed that up. I made that mistake. He didn't make an excuse. He just looked at it and he said, wow, I made a mistake and I'm sorry. It doesn't change that the kid doesn't get a perfect game, but at least you saw that the official had the wherewithal to say, whoa, I screwed up here mm-hmm. and I need to apologize. And honesty goes a long way. You know, I, it's, absolutely. It just, it goes a long way. And even though he doesn't get his per- perfect game, at least he as the athlete feels, I'm going to say better, feels better about the fact that, okay, he knows he made a mistake and I, I can live with that. And what, and we move on. It doesn't change the fact that the perfect game exists or doesn't. But I mean, if I recall this play, he was out by a couple of feet. Like, oh yeah, it, it happened. It happened very quick, and this this individual was out by a couple of yeah. feet. Like that umpire really gaffed it. It wasn't like you know, was the cleat touching? Was it not? It was no, no. It was a couple of right. feet where it was like, yikes! This is this is a real it problem was- here. So. Yeah, yeah, it was a Detroit Tigers pitcher named Armando Galarraga. He was a young pitcher. I think it was his first year in the big leagues. And he had this perfect game going. And this official, just uh, official Jim Joyce, just just totally, totally missed the play, made a mistake, but came out afterwards and even tearfully said, like, I'm sorry to this kid. I screwed up his perfect game. Yeah. And I just thought, Mr. Joyce, you have my respect. Yeah. Because you admitted that you made a mistake. I, uh, as we wrap up the program with uh, a little under 10 minutes left, I just want to talk a little bit about the NFL because NFL is king and it seems to remain to be king as as, uh, time has uh, gone on and ratings still show up. So, uh, let's uh, run down. I want quick thoughts on each of these games, and I'll give quick thoughts as well. Sure. Uh, let's run down. Houston uh, wins their game over the Cleveland Browns. Oh, uh, boy, did they. <laughs> thoughts? Um, dominance. Total, total dominance. I said to our group in our group chat before the game started, that I thought old man power was going to win the day and that Joe Flacco was going to drag the Cleveland Browns kicking and screaming to a win. Uh, He did not, (laughs) not by a Mm. long shot. (laughs) CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans put on a clinic. That is how you play a football game, whether it's defense, whether it's offense, they were making plays. They were, catching they were like they intercepted Flacco so many times on defense it was just crazy to watch and I literally sat there and I think at halftime looked at everybody and said I guess I was wrong (laughs) (laughs) yeah because it was it was over before it even started it felt like it was not close not even close no uh my quick comments is just simply 
I'm on board with CJ Stroud. I, I, when I saw this game, I just kind of like, meh, CJ Stroud, Cleveland Brown, don't care. I had Who it cares? on my tablet, you know, but I'm on board and I love the way they play, uh, the way, the way things are. I will lead things off on the next one. Uh, let's talk about the Kansas City, uh, Miami game. Uh, Kansas City <laughs> won this game and, uh, Twenty six to seven was the final score of this particular game. This means that Patrick Mahomes is now twelve and three in playoff games. I am so sick and tired of seeing Taylor Swift on every time that <laughs> Travis Kelsey gets the ball or runs with the ball. Or I'm just tired of it. I'm bored. I'm over it. Whatever. That's my thoughts. Patrick Mahomes is is where Patrick Mahomes needs to be. And he's in that right frame of mind. And I believe that they are where they need to be. And we'll just see how things go. Your thoughts. My thoughts, neither team deserved to win that game. <laughs> the The Kansas City Chiefs were the better team, but they were the better team because of Patrick Mahomes and what he could do. There was a play in the fourth quarter, Brock, and I know you'll have seen this, where he goes on a run. He collides head first with another player for the Dolphins. His helmet cracks. Not only does he not have to leave the game for concussion protocol, they stop the game, let him walk to the sideline after making a play with a broken helmet, and they allow him to change the helmet without burning a timeout. How in the hell is this possible? Now, I am I am a Dolphins fan. Can I say? So, so take that with, with a grain of salt. But if that was any other quarterback, are you going to tell me that they're going to be allowed to, to not only change out their helmet without using a timeout, but they're actually going to be allowed to run a play with a broken helmet? It boggles my mind. As for the game itself, Miami was undermanned. They were injured. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle have both had injuries the entire season that have not kept them out of games, but have, have slowed them down some. If you watched the game closely, you will have seen a number of plays where Tyreek Hill was on the sideline. He was not in, in the game. I believe that was because of injuries. But when you consider injuries on offense, you consider injuries on defense, Miami just couldn't play. And then you add the fact that it was like minus 26 degrees in friggin' Kansas City, and they probably shouldn't have played the game in the first place. It, it was a foregone conclusion. Can we just say, and this goes back to our earlier conversation, and it doesn't make it right, but can we just say cachet of Patrick Mahomes? And that is simply mm -hmm. the reason I believe that was allowed to happen with the helmet. Does it make it right? Absolutely not. Would it have changed the outcome of the game if they took a <laughs> if they took a, um, a timeout? No. But at least follow the rules would be would be my argument. And I think that's basically also what you're saying is just simply follow the rules. Uh, I got to quickly move through the last yep. couple here. Um, uh, Green Bay Packers, Dallas Cowboys, another dominant performance Great by game. the 
Green Bay Packers, 28 uh, to 7. They were leading the game at one point. The uh, Packers also snapped a 16 game home streak uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. This was a uh, game of epic proportions because Green Bay was the seven seed, ladies and gentlemen, seven uh, in all this. So your thoughts on this quickly? Basically, congratulations, Green Bay. You played a great game. Uh, I think Dallas, on defense at least, had some injuries that may have hampered things. But Green Bay won that game. They deserved it. And now we see if Mike McCarthy keeps his job in Dallas or if he gets replaced by, oh, I don't know, maybe one Bill Belichick, as the rumors are going. Mm. I don't think that'll happen, by the way. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, Yeah, it's... It'll be interesting. I think there'll be some sweeping changes. Ownership sounded pretty angry. Yeah, but Jerry's um, not going to give up the GM job, and Bill's going to want control of players, yeah. personnel. So, uh, Final game that we can talk about right now is the Detroit Lions versus LA Rams. The Detroit Lions win 24-23. Detroit wins their first game, uh, playoff game, in 33 years. Uh, what say you on this? Uh, the Stafford Bowl. The the uh, quarterback for L.A. Rams, Matthew Stafford, spent years in Detroit, moved over to L.A., won a Super Bowl. Now it's Jared Goff and his team's turn. Uh, this was a great game. I loved this game. It was the closest game of the weekend so far as we record this. We'll see what uh, what the Monday night games are like. But, uh, yeah, great, great game and good on Detroit for actually pulling it out. As someone who who grew up in southwestern Ontario, close enough to know a lot of Lions fans, this feels good for the Lions. And I hope that they ride this wave and just continue on. Yeah, I love this game. I love it was the most exciting game that we've seen in in this playoff situation. We cannot talk about the others because... They are not completed, and we'll talk about them next week, and I'll either be really excited as a Bills fan or really pissed (laughs) off, one of the two. Uh, Stay tuned for that. It's being recorded, so I don't want any spoiler alerts at the moment. But the NFL playoffs have been really good to start, and uh, it'll only get better and better as time goes on. That is the end of our program for this week. I'd like to thank Josh Watson. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Mark Aflalo. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Ontario Para. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Be safe, be well. The Neutral Zone is brought to you by the Ontario Para Network. Connect with them at ONParanetwork. Follow them online at onpara.ca. Now that's a winning combination. 